everyone, this is Will, and welcome to this brand new and exciting episode of The Missing Piece. Now, if you take a good look around the world, some countries today are still in the process of battling against the pandemic. For example, China, one of the largest countries in the world, and unsurprisingly, that this nation, with a population of 1.4 billion people, but some of the cities in China today are still facing the restrictions and limitations because of the pandemic. Now, meanwhile, if we take another look at the country called North Korea, for so long that we know that this country has been completely shunned away from this international community, but recently the pandemic eventually hit the nation really hard. And statistically speaking, more than 39 cases are being discovered just so far. And what does that mean for the country of North Korea? And how should the leader today in North Korea handle such crisis? Now, join our show today is Dr. Justin Fendos. And Dr. Fendos is a professor of cell biology at Thomson University in Busan, South Korea. And his research focuses on a wide range of topics including East Asia culture, education, and maritime trade. And his PhD was earned at Yale, and he's the CEO of three consulting companies involved in inter-Asia business, education, and software development. And today, in this episode, and I'm, I'm very glad and honored to have Dr. Fendos to discuss this critical matter, not about China, but this critical issue in North Korea. Dr. Fendos... And welcome to The Missing Piece. Thank you for having me. Dr. Fendos, let's get to the question right away. Again, initially, when I discovered you, because this amazing article that you wrote and entitled, What Comes Next in North Korea's Battle with Omicron? You know, again, as I mentioned in the intro, Dr. Fendos, for so long that this nation has played this silent or this... Uh, um, a hidden role away from the international community and given this political and social atmosphere. Now, recently, this nation uh, made the news headline because of the pandemic and also within the article, and you specifically wrote, and I quote, when considering the artifacts that North Korean population is entirely unvaccinated, often malnourished, and serve an obsolete healthcare system that harkens back to the 1990s, and the looming perils should be obvious even for those who might have political motivation to hide bad news. So my question to you is, what does that mean when the nation today is being hit by the pandemic? So I think on the first level, on kind of a superficial level, the North Korean government has to present this image of always being in control, of being competent and having the, the interest of the citizens in mind. So this kind of bad news is not politically good for them because mm. it suggests that they're not doing their job well. And incidentally, that's one of the reasons why Kim Jong-un, when he was holding his big meeting, he had to immediately throw his medical people under the bus and say, you know, it was them, it wasn't me. They failed and, you know, they should be punished or whatever. Um, so that's kind of the first superficial level of the politics of it. So I think many 
observers, longtime observers of North Korea, initially were a little skeptical of this whole process because it is so rare mm. for North Korea to come out and make an admission that, you know, okay, we screwed up or okay, we're in, we're in big trouble now. So I think that in of itself is already kind of a big deal. And then the other facts that were in the quotation that you, you mentioned, I mean, the fact that they're unvaccinated, the fact that a lot of the people are hungry, which means that their immune system status can't be very good, mm. um, which will make infections more dangerous for them and also probably make it easier to spread the virus. When you consider all these things together, I mean, I think even one of my uh, college students, you know, looking at the data as it is, pretty obvious, can reach the correct conclusion that North Korea is probably in a lot of trouble. Now, Dr. Fendos, again, going back to um, the sentences that I just read, you will say that majority of the population that are unvaccinated I mean, given the fact, strategically and also geographically speaking, that North Korea is located right next to China. I mean, again, given the fact, if we are uh, 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 talking about this political ties, China has been very generous in distributing the vaccines to neighboring countries. Now, how come so far that for North Korea, again, without China's help, and what, what are the reasons behind that? Because we know that, again, politically speaking, China has been very active in engaging with North Korea, especially in providing resources. But how, excuse me, but how come that North Korea has not received or we have not heard anything that the help and support from the Chinese government? Yeah, I mean, so obviously the degree of generosity is something that's up for debate. I mean, clearly North Korea's main trading partner has been China mm. and China has at many times in fact, donated things. But again, I, I think it is debatable whether that's really generous or not. On the issue of the refusal to take vaccines, so North Korea has at least on two occasions refused vaccines that are provided through COVAX. One time, those vaccines were supposed to come from Chinese sources. Mm. It's unclear why those refusals occurred. Um, perhaps one of the reasons initially was that they were skeptical of the quality of the vaccines because mm. at that time we still weren't quite sure how effective they were. Um, but another possibility is that the number of doses was just not enough to cover the whole country. And so perhaps North Korea's strategy was just to wait until there was a bigger offer so that they could vaccinate everyone. Um, because again, technically speaking, I think a lot of people forget this, technically speaking, North Korea is operated as a communist state. So mm. all the citizens technically should be treated equally. And mm. if you only have a certain number of vaccines coming in that creates a pretty serious conundrum of you know who do we give it to and who do we not give it to dr fendos you're the expert again uh in cell biology of course that when we talk about the pandemic and very often that we we'll always think about the healthcare system you know again every single country from south korea to north korea to china and to the u.s Every single country runs different principles in terms of promoting and also the, uh, elevating the image of healthcare system under the different governments. Now, again, going back to the article that you said and also you wrote that given that North Korea healthcare, healthcare system will likely to be ineffective in combating the virus. I've been to South Korea. I've been to Pyongyang many times. But when it came to this conversation regarding healthcare, uh, healthcare I did not get, or so far, I have not received any clear messages. So, Dr. Fendos, the next question to you is, what kind of healthcare system is running in North Korea? And when you say ineffective, my question, next question is, how ineffective it is today uh, regarding this healthcare system in North Korea? 
so I think it's important to note that when North Korea shows off its healthcare system, they're showing off the very best of what they have. Mm. So there are probably three, maybe four hospitals in North Korea that have some relatively good equipment that can do surgeries and things, you know, not on par with what we have out here in the advanced countries, but, you know, close to that. Mm. The rest of the country, however, you know, is quite different. And that's where my uh, statement of it hearkening back to the 1990s comes from, because a lot of those facilities essentially have been unchanged. Um, North Korea does operate because, again, it's, uh, you know, at least superficially a communist system. They do operate a free health care for all citizens. Um, but again, it really comes down to equipment. So when it's coming to when you're talking about Omicron and coronavirus, the two main things that you need, the first is that you would like to have facilities that prevent the spread of virus. Mm. So if you have one ward where you have your respiratory patients come in, you would prefer that the virus that they're bringing in not be spread to people in cardiology or another section of the hospital. And so you'd like to have good ventilation. You would like to have you know doors and things installed so that you can control the flow of people as well as the control of air. Mm. These kinds of facilities are pretty modern and North Korea by and large is not going to have any of those. Mm. The second type has to do with equipment that's designed to help people breathe because that's usually the main symptom that causes people to die and gives most patients the most difficulty. And there, you know, the main thing that you like to have are ventilators. And, you know, North Korea, we know, does not have many of those either. So on those two aspects, both in terms of the process of treatment and then in the process of containing the virus in those kinds of medical environments, uh, North Korea is going to struggle a lot. Well, but again, Dr. Fendo, based on what you just said, even though that's a North Korea government or the country, it's not well equipped with, you know, uh, cutting edge or up to date facilities to battle against this pandemic. But one thing that we all know that for Kim Jong-un as the current leader of the country for so long that people idolize this person. So in other words, you know, not too long ago that we saw one of the key important players within this own administration passed away, and that was such a big deal for the country. So in other words, it demonstrated that how much this leader, I guess I want to be careful right here, cared to some extent regarding the uh, the prosperity of the country or the, uh, uh, the welfare of the people. But let's just say if the country it's not well equipped with everything that we uh, they need to battle against the pandemic, what what's going to happen to the people? I mean, again, uh, you, we know that again you are the expert on viruses. We can't wait for the virus to stop. So in other words, we have to do something in order to stop this threat. So again, at this moment, what are the practical options for North Korean government to curb the widespread, given the condition that the country it's now well equipped with the facilities? And so uh, I'll just throw out the impractical option first, sure. because it would be nice. We're not going to get it. I mean, the impractical option would be that somebody made a very generous donation of vaccines mm. right now and the entire population got vaccinated. That would probably call, you know, stop most of the problems. Right. In the absence of that, North Korea actually doesn't have very many good options. Mm. Um, one of the things it's going to have to do is going to have to do what China has been doing, which is instituting lockdowns to try to slow down the spread of virus. Mm. And I say slow down because at this point, Omicron, we know enough about it that you're not actually going to be able to extinguish it. Right. It's always going to be there in the background, re-emerging, and so you're going to have to have outbreak after outbreak. The challenge for North Korea is going to be that they do not have 
adequate testing capacity. So mm-hmm. China does. So China can go in, test an entire city if they want to. Obviously, they can't do that, you know, for 10 or 20 cities all at once, but they have the capacity to do testing. And so they can more quickly identify when an outbreak is in progress and they can use a more informed, a more strategic process to enforce their lockdowns. Whereas North Korea is probably just going to have to go by, you know, whether people have coughs and fever. And as we already know, those symptoms usually arise a couple of days after people have already started being infectious. So if that's going to be the strategy, they're always going to be late in instituting their lockdowns. And we also know for Omicron that many people, many, many people uh, get infected but do not develop symptoms at all. So you'll also be missing those people entirely. So as things progress, the summer is probably going to be okay. I mean, we've seen repeatedly that warm weather seems to slow down the infection rate. Mm. It's actually quite unclear why that happens. Maybe it's because people spend more time outside. You know, we're not sure. But the data is pretty clear on that. Summer months are better. But with autumn and then winter rolling around, that's when I think, you know, the real trouble is going to happen. And probably at some point, once things start getting bad, North Korea is just going to have to blindly institute lockdowns to try to slow down the spread of a virus that they can't see. The second thing they can try to do, which again is, you know, it's theoretically practical, but it's difficult, is they can try to get outside help. Mm. So getting some of those drugs that help with uh, COVID symptoms, even getting some small or moderate sized donation of vaccines would probably be helpful. And, you know, they can probably take the approach of vaccinating at least the elderly people, the people who are at higher risk of death. Um, But uh, South Korea, over the previous weekend, they actually made a preliminary offer of a suggestion that, you know, we will offer some some vaccines and some medical supplies. It's unclear how much that was, what the volume of that support was. But so far, North Korea has not uh, offered any reply to this. So I'm a little concerned by that uh, because they should be accepting any help they think they can get at this point. But at the same time, um, North Korea, pro- you know, and I think I'm one of the few people who from the very start kind of felt like North Korea really understood the magnitude of the situation. Mm. I think a lot of people, especially the uh, analysts who are in the United States and other Western countries, I think they kind of have this attitude that, you know, North Koreans are, you know, back in the Stone Age mm. and you know not very smart, not observing the situation correctly. But I think North Koreans, the, at least the people who are in charge, I think they have a very, very str- a good awareness of what the situation is. They're probably terrified And I think they also understand that they can't be accepting piecemeal donations of help. Mm. They need significant chunks of help to really help their population in a significant manner. And so any assistance that they're going to receive, they're probably going to try to angle and barter for uh, larger amounts. Uh, Because, you know, countries that do give donations, if they give a small amount, they'll say, hey, we already gave you something. So, you know, why are you asking us for more? Mm. And so there's some kind there's that kind of political uh, horse trading kind of uh, behavior that occurs. And I think North Korea is also aware of that. And so whatever assistance they receive, they probably will need to feel confident that that's the most that they can get. Dr. Fendus, again, let's go back to... um North Korea's neighbor country, China. And we know today that this nation across uh, uh, the cities, that some major cities today, especially the capital city of China, Beijing, face the major lockdown. Again, you know, uh, that seems irrelevant to North Korea. But meanwhile, that we know today how information is being transparent and is being sent, you know, uh, through uh, multiple channels. 
So again, for North Korea, when they look at China, again, this is the par uh, partners and this ideal, uh, how can I say, economic uh, resources, but also the country is also facing another major threat from the pandemic. What message does that send to the North Korean government? So in other words, can the North Korean government continue to trust the China and uh, again, continue to work with China in terms of battle against this pandemic? Because we know that if China is facing another major lockdown, uh, that could be very worrisome, not just politically, but also economically. Um, so, I mean, trust obviously is a very precious commodity in global <laughs> relations. I mean, I don't think any country really trusts any other country. Right? I mean, you're always jockeying for position and you're trying to get the best deal that you can. Mm. And I think in many respects, North Korea's relationship with China has been a lot like that, too. I mean, I don't think I'd use the word trust to characterize either end mm. um, of that agreement. Now, obviously, North Korea is kind of in the inferior position because, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, 90 some percent of their trade was you know, with China. So they, they, they have a very strong dependence on that neighbor. Um, but when it comes to COVID, I mean, I think in real terms, uh, what China is experiencing pandemically probably doesn't affect North Korea that much mm. um, because most of North Korea's trade is through exports. So North Korea is more interested in selling things to China. Uh, obviously, they have to buy things like, you know, fuel and fertilizer and things right. like that, too. But just because 20 cities in China are locked down probably doesn't affect that aspect that much. Um, but in terms of the political things, it, when, if China is uh, still in the, in the midst of these kinds of lockdowns and severe conditions for many people, it makes it politically more difficult to make a big show of support for another country because, you know, there's always this issue of face. You know, why are you spending so much time and energy on another country and not on your own people? Mm. So even though technically China might have the capacity to do both, to support its own people and manage its own pandemic at the same time that it's uh, helping North Korea, it probably politically can't because the image doesn't look good. Mm. Um, so there's probably some truth there that uh, the support that North Korea can get from China may be more, um, how do I want to put this? It, it may be less likely, mm. but in real terms, uh, you know, sending a few shipments of coal uh, is not going to be affected that much by whether Beijing is under lockdown. Mm. Dr. Vendos, again, I know you're very busy. I got two more questions before wrapping up the conversation. Now, go. let's go back to the article. And again, you said in the February piece that you wrote that North Korea's January missile tests seem like a strategy to signal the international community for pandemic-related assistance. You know, it's so troubling for us to see that on one hand, this nation, it's not uh, um, resourceful in terms of financial uh, 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 help or, you know, and also um, this political strategies. And, you know, right now it's dealing with a pandemic. But meanwhile, that this country under Kim Jong-un has not stopped for any missile testing. I mean, it's really people, I mean, again, people like me, it, it's, it's just hard to understand what is the purpose of keep on developing this missile test. And meanwhile, the core of the issues are being ignored or being looked by the government. So again, Dr. Findos, going back to your expertise, what is, I mean, how, how can we understand this ongoing missile tests? Meanwhile, the country, it's suffering greatly, again, not only financially, but also politically now today for the pandemic. 
Okay, so your question is quite broad there. Um, I think commenting on the political part first, I mean, obviously, it's a dictatorship, it's a pretty cruel dictatorship. Um, that's obvious to any outside observer. Um, you know, it's unclear what other options there are at the moment mm. for any political change. So not too much to comment on there. Although, as I mentioned in the article, uh, the, the pandemic situation could put a serious strain on a variety of things that happen in that country, like sustenance and, you know, cultural fabric. Mm. And, you know, that might precipitate some change later. We don't know. On the economic side, uh, the truth of the matter is, I mean, North Korea, they don't have much to offer. I mean, they got mm. some copper, but I mean, there's nothing that they can really trade uh, and sell that other countries really you know, want. So they don't have a whole lot of uh, options in terms of developing their country. Pre-pandemic, I felt like Kim Jong-un's regime was doing the most that it could. So they were trying to go for a, a two-pronged approach. Uh, on the one hand, developing their military capacity, which I believe is mostly for leverage mm. to try to threaten other countries into relieving sanctions. Because, I mean, let's be honest, the sanctions are the main reason why the country is in such poor shape, because they're not allowed to trade. They can't borrow money. They can't do international transactions. Whether those sanctions are justified or not, you know, I think there's a, a real reasonable debate there. Mm. I would personally suggest that, you know, during the Clinton administration, when they actually reached a deal for denuclearization, it was the United States. It's Congress's fault that they actually weren't able to follow through on the document that they signed. But, you know, the, all these things are up for debate. Um, but given the limited resources that they have running a, a small, relatively small export trade relationship with China, um, you know, with that amount of money, I mean, what can they really do? Mm. So the two things that they did, one was to develop the military technology to try to, you know, get more attention, to try to use that kind of military leverage. But on the other hand, which a lot of people miss is they really tried very hard to develop their tourism industry. Mm. And a lot of Chinese people were visiting. They even had a special uh, quick uh, lane strategy for getting some European visitors to come into Pyongyang. They had firework displays, you know, every uh, so few, uh, few weeks uh, for designed for those tourists. And so they were really trying to develop that as a as a mode of legitimate uh, income. But you know, the pandemic squashed all of that too. So I think economically speaking, the sanctions really have uh, limited the options mm. and. You know, I don't want to say that violence and the threat of violence through missile launches is ever a good option. But given what they have, that might for them have been the best option. And I think uh, a lot of foreign observers, especially those in Western countries, kind of make the mistake of assuming that, you know, they want war. I mean, mm. I don't think they do. I, th I think this is all about leverage and it's, a, it's right. a diplomatic tool to try to get attention more than anything else. Dr. Fendo, I want to go back to, again, the article that you wrote as the conclusion, and you landed on that in North Korea today, 25.8 million population, and perhaps the most realistic assistant in the long run is food. I mean, which I agree with you, but again, for most of us that can't really comprehend in terms of supplying or for North Korean government to receive uh, uh, supplies in terms of food and, you know, energy and, you know, and everything that we talk about. So from your perspective, how dire is the situation today for North Korean government to have ample or plenty of food and supply not only to the government itself, but also to the people? And the second thing is, again, as a, a cell biologist, we know that 
we can't really say food will be one of the effective ways to battle against the pandemic, but health, you know, being healthy, that is number one priority for every single country. And regarding, you know, where you're located or, you know, regarding what kind of political uh, system you're running. So again, going back to the question is, how bad is it today for North Korea to be short on food? And also, what are the solutions for North Korea to receive good quality of food in order to battle not only against the pandemic, but against the, any other major threat in healthcare? Okay, so that's another broad question. Um, as you say, uh, so as you mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, the Kim Jong-un regime needs to present this image of being in control, of being competent. And you know, one of the central tenets of any regime, of any country, any government is to be able to provide sustenance to the people. Mm. And so we don't often get very detailed glimpses of what exactly the food situation is. We get bits and pieces. So some of the things we know, last fall, Kim Jong-un made a very public declaration that the food situation was not good and that every citizen needed to spare all efforts to try to make as much out of the harvest as possible. Mm. So that already suggests that they don't have a whole lot stored up. We also know that towards the end of January that they reopened uh, one of the key uh, rail lines, actually the major rail line, to, uh, to China. And the timing of that also suggests that maybe they needed some food imports. And we know that there were shipments of something coming into North Korea. Some reports said that it was food, but I haven't seen anything confirmed to my satisfaction. Um, so the suggestion is that they're kind of teetering on the edge, that, you know, they have some, but they don't have enough. And mm. we know from uh, pre-pandemic figures of humanitarian workers going to North Korea that the estimates are anywhere from 48 to 56 percent of the people suffering from some level of uh, malnutrition or some lack of food. So the situation is not good. And from an epidemiological standpoint, obviously, this means that, you know, older people are going to be frailer. Younger people are going to be more likely to have some level of uh, immune uh, deficiency. And so all these things, again, are going to make the pandemic a bigger struggle for them. You know, because when we talk about food supply, you know, interestingly speaking, again, going back to China, the China, it's very much different from North Korea. But today, the data came out that, cor correct me if I'm wrong, more than 45 or more than 50% of the population who are older than 65 have not actively been vaccinated. You know, so again, every day, the cities nationwide are doing testing one after another. But the core of the issue is if those people are not being vaccinated, what is the purpose of doing testing on a daily basis? So again, I'm sorry, this is not North Korea, but let's talk about China. Okay. What, what do you think that China is trying to accomplish if without all the people are being vaccinated? Yeah, so actually one of the things that a lot of people miss is the fact that North Korea, uh, not North Korea, Chinese, a lot of Chinese are not vaccinated. And so, you know, this too is why China has to follow the same strategy of using lockdowns to try to slow the spread of the virus. And so mm. doing the testing is more of a way of, well, there's probably two aspects. The main aspect is it's a form of diagnosis, a way to inform your lockdowns, mm. where you should have them, when you should have them. So the testing is more or less that kind of a diagnostic tool. But at the same time, I mean, I'm sure they're trying to use this as a psychological tool to try to encourage people to get vaccinated as mm. well. So, I mean, the testing process in itself is uncomfortable. The fact that they have to do these things, um, so, you know, it, it, it suggests this kind of... Um, 
and an atmosphere of danger, mm. which probably the, the Chinese government wants to impress upon their population as much as possible, because I'm sure the Chinese popula- the Chinese government would prefer to have everybody doubly, triply vaccinated. At this That's point. right. And the fact that they haven't is a significant problem. I mean, it's, it's a big danger, which is why I think a lot of these outbreaks are a lot larger. I mean, obviously, they don't give official figures, so we can't confirm for sure how large they are. But when you lock down Shanghai, the entire city, and you say you only had a couple thousand, that's probably unrealistic. Mm. So, I mean, vaccination rates are the main, if not the only way out of this pandemic. Mm. Well, 